When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham SC. My name's Sammy James and welcome to this special episode. Another one of our big interviews. We haven't done one for a little while, but really excited to say that we're going to be speaking to former Fulham goalkeeper Marcus Bettinelli, who has left Fulham this summer after 15 years with the club. And of course, he was part of many iconic Fulham moments, including that famous win over Villa at Wembley Stadium. And joining me today to chat to Marcus is Drew Heatley. Hi, Sammy. And Isabel Barker. Hi Sammy, how are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Just before we start, a quick mention for The Athletic UK, who Fulhamish have partnered with again this season. The Athletic is definitely the best place if you want to keep your finger on the pulse for all things Fulham transfers this summer. Peter Rutzler is the man in the know and will be giving you the very best analysis as the transfer window approaches its close and the season starts in August. If you want to sign up for the very best price, go to theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. Right, without further ado, let's hand over to Marcus Benelli. Marcus, welcome to Fulhamish. Thanks very much. Thanks very much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, lovely to talk to you. Obviously, with you just leaving the club after 15 years, I imagine it's a pretty mad emotional time for you at the moment. But fascinating for us as fans, maybe just to get a bit of insight into your life and times and career at Fulham and maybe kind of your opinions on some of the most recent years at Fulham when you were part of the first team and everything that we saw from the stands and getting your perspective on everything that you saw kind of on the pitch and and in between the sticks. I I think like first question is what is the, the emotion like now after such a long time in one place at one club making that big leap and, and, and finally deciding to leave Craven Cottage? I think definitely the word emotional is probably the, the, the one word that probably strikes me first. Um, I think when I think you've been somewhere for so long, like I have, like I know it sounds silly, but it sort of really did feel sort of like my second home. And I think as like a lot of people know, sort of my family there, my, my, my father works there, my sister works there. So it is, it is a, a very sort of family run thing sort of through my blood, but um, also at the same time, it is, I'm very excited to start something new. Um, I've sort of had to wrap my head around that the last sort of, last sort of two months or so. Um, but yeah, I think when I look back on a whole, my whole full, sort of Fulham career coming through the academy and, and experiencing the things that I did, especially sort of the managers that we had in the past, um, McGaff and stuff like that, I think, you know, there's been some really good times. There's been some rubbish times. Um, there's also been times when it's been absolutely chaotic and I'd probably say a bit of a shambles, but also at the same time, I think, you know, I don't know what football club you go to where, you know, you don't have them ups and downs and stuff like that. So, um, like I said earlier, it, it was an emotional day. Um, it has been sort of an emotional month really trying to wrap my head around it. Um, but, you know, also, like I said, it, it's, it's the end of an era. Um, super proud to have done everything that I've done there and, you know, Whatever happens next, happens next. But um, yeah, like I said, extremely proud to have uh, to come through the academy for Fulham for sure. I'm going to take it back to the beginning, if that's all right, um, and just talk about before you made it to the first team. You're obviously on loan at Dartford and then Accrington. Uh, I just wanted to know, like, how important was it for that sort of lower league experience, and and do you think that's something that's missing today? Because you get a lot of players now going direct from academy to first team football, and do you feel there's a step missing? Uh, yeah, for me it was huge, and like when I look back now, I think probably without them, them seasons at Darfur and Accrington, and the, probably the, even the smaller ones before that, like Godalman Town and Croydon, they probably without them probably the first year when McGaff took over and sort of 
I ended up finding myself in a, in a thirsting spot. Probably without them, them experiences that I had on loan, I probably would have crumbled really. Um, and I probably definitely wouldn't have been the goalkeeper that I am today. And I think, you know, I've always had a really good relationship with the young boys at Fulham, especially the goalies. I mean, you always sort of tend to look after your own in that sense. So, you know, you've got sort of a great sort of crop of goalkeepers coming through. And to be fair to Fulham, they always have sort of produced some great goalkeepers and they're probably a little bit biased with my dad obviously being a big part of that. But, you know, even sort of Jesse, Dale Leffridge, Wes Fodron and Magnus played as well. And obviously, you know, your current number one, Marek, who's, who's a top goalkeeper as well. So I think they've always had a good balance of 23s games, 18s games, but also still going out on loan. Um, I know obviously Tay, Tay was out on loan last year. So I think it's key. Um, I think if anything, I think it's more key for them goalkeepers to go out and play some games rather than the outfield boys. I'd love to sit here and say I have a massive opinion on outfield football, but I can't really do that because I'm not one of them boys. But um, as for the goalkeeping side, I can definitely say it's um, it's definitely key and it, and it kept me in it kept me in good stead that year um, that I sort of made my championship sort of debut. Obviously, you know, being at Fulham, you've experienced so many relegations, ups and downs. But, you know, that, that first relegation, it was kind of widely thought that you'd kind of finally get that chance as number one. How, I guess, frustrating was it, you know, that Jerome got, got the nod against Ipswich on, on day one, I guess, going from there? To be honest, I had done an interview the other day with Jeff and he's brought up a gaff and I was like, if I go into that whole pre-season, I'd need a sort of hour and a half just on its own to speak about that whole pre-season and that whole season itself with him taking over the first sort of... I mean, you're more than welcome to. <laughs> we, will, we will gladly listen because um, and we, the, um, it, it was the most asked question by far. Uh, and to be honest, I can only sort of sum up in a couple of words of just absolutely mental. Like, I've, I don't think I've ever experienced or I don't think I ever will experience anything like it um, it was a lot of hard work um, zero days off um, mentally punishing it was it was the only way I can describe it is literally being in the army slash like SAS like that was literally the closest thing and I think I'll ever experience to that um, and even then it was probably worse um, but yeah obviously we didn't start great um, so yeah I think when I look back, when I think probably the season before I was Akron, I don't think really I had already had in my mind that the following season I would I would be playing Fulham because in my head it was always next steps now League One because Akron was League Two at the time. So my next step was Conference League Two, League One, and then obviously hopefully go from there. So I kind of fast forwarded in my in my career in that point and, and jumped on the sort of championship bandwagon probably probably a year probably too soon, but thankfully I managed to handle it a little bit. And yeah, I think. That whole preseason, I think when Stocko left, and I knew it was out of me and Jesse, and Jesse was a year younger than me, um, I was I was I was devastated. I think when when the sort of Jesse started to start the season, um, and then I always kind of had a feeling in my head if I get a chance, I think I'd take it, and I got my chance against Brentford in the cup, um, which again I think at the time I don't really realise. I knew how big the game was in terms from a fans' point of view. I don't really think it was until I got out there and it was my sort of first time playing at, at Brentford Stadium. Um, and it was obviously small, compact, and obviously the Fulham fans are literally right behind your goal. Within the first 10 minutes, I just had this feeling that like everyone behind me was literally right behind me, whatever I'd done. Um, and it was a lovely feeling. Um, and I think that stuck with me sort of from, well, all the way up until now, really. And then obviously, yeah, then Gab- <laughs> we finished the game and my dad rang me, was a far, like, well played. And then, he told me like they just signed Gabriel Karali and I was like went from sky high to like down to zero like all in the space of one night so I was buzzing with that um, and then yeah Gab started the next game and then I think the next game after that I think maybe McGaff got sacked or maybe two games um, and then yeah I think from then I basically played the whole season sort of when kick come in um, so when I look back to that season it was it was mental like I said from the start of it going from Gaff's pre-season to I'm not playing to play into they're not playing for the back pain. It was mental, but it was still sort of one of my favourite seasons at Fulham. Um, we 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 done well to I think people probably don't give Kit enough credit that season for what he'd done to sort of to be sort of six, seven games, wherever it was about a win, to then stay up. I know it was obviously a big turning point from maybe sort of two years before that, obviously with Roy Hodgson and everything like that. Like 
I know the fans obviously expected us to be there and obviously we wasn't, we was, we was down there, but, you know, we've we done well that year to, to stay up after everything that happened in pre-season and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, hell of a place to make your debut. And I, I think maybe because it's the League Cup, you can maybe diminish it, but it was Brentford. It was one of the first times we'd faced them in years as well. And we actually won that one. Obviously, we then ended up to have a terrible record against Brentford. A 1-0 win away at Griffin Park is a pretty good place to make your debut, especially as a goalkeeper. Um, you mentioned Kit. How, how crucial was he to your development. I think it's a good point you raised there because ultimately his time, probably from a fan's perspective, is not overly positive, but yeah, it was a basket case of a club really at that point that he had to go in there and, and stabilise and maybe he was the one that slightly laid the foundations for what we saw later under Slav and, and, and time in the Premier League and stuff. For sure, without a shadow of a doubt, like I, I put in my Instagram post, there's a lot of people at Fulham that, that do a lot of work um, in the back that sort of doesn't really get noticed. And I think probably Kit and sort of Martin Brennan, who was a goalie coach at the time, was definitely one of them. Um, you know, he's had a massive part in in bringing myself through, Marek through, um, Magnus. Um, and obviously Kit was there. And, you know, we was a young squad. Like, I'm still good friends of sort of like George Williams and Shaw Kavner and obviously Woodrow and that, like we was a really young squad. Like none of us was ready for that. I don't think any manager taking over sort of would have done sort of anything maybe possibly better than we actually did that season. You know, and I think when he took over, I think everyone would have said if you had, if you had offered us sort of safety at the end of the season, I think everyone would snatch your hand off just because of where we was in the league. Like championships, tough enough league in itself, let alone when you're, six, seven games behind everyone and everyone's got a head start. So um, he done really well that season. And like you said, I think he stabilised the club when they really needed sort of stabilising a little bit. And, you know, obviously the owners wanted to invest and, you know, they, they have done that over the last few years and they've taken the club to to next heights. And it's been a, listen, it's been a mad roller coaster of the last sort of four or five years. And I'm sure you fans have obviously all got your own opinions on it. But Kit and them boys done well that, that season to stabilise stuff. And um you know, that, that, that shouldn't be forgotten about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Kit gave a, a platform to uh, Slavisa to sort of build on. And I think, you know, obviously uh, after he sort of had to stabilise us a little bit, uh, we got to tw- we got to 2017-18. And, and uh, you know, the season before, the last six games, he suddenly, you know, he put his faith in you and, and then you started that season number one. I mean, on that season as a whole, was it was it a vindication for you that you could be, you could be trusted as a promotion-winning number one keeper? Yes and no. I was actually really close to leaving that summer because um, I'd only played sort of like five games and obviously I know then we lost to Reading so I had a couple of extras on that but I hadn't played the whole season. Um, Butts come in, he, uh, me and Butts got on really, really well but you know, in my eyes I was thinking right, well, ne- like next season whether we go off or stay in the league, you know, Butts would be slabs number one again. So I was really close to, to leaving that season. Um, I think me and Tony agreed a new deal and I stayed and then and then I think probably I would have started at the start of the season, um, but I got injured in uh, the last pre-season game. Um, can't remember who it was against, um, and I never started. And then Butts, Butts played, and um, the boys done really well. And then around Christmas time, obviously, we lost to Sunderland. Bear in mind, they hadn't won at home in like two and a half years, and it's just such a Fulham thing to do where we go there and they, they win um, for the first time. It's like, uh, I feel like Fulham are like the team that always breaks everybody else's bad records, like for some reason. Um, from Sunderland, like, I don't know if everyone knew this, but we went out and had a Christmas party after that, which on another day, probably a lot of managers probably would have said like, no, nah, no chance, you're not, you're not going out. Um, but, wow. After, yeah. that, after that Sunderland game? Yeah, after the Sunderland game, we, we had our Christmas party booked. And we was a we was a close-knit group, but we wasn't that close. And we went out, we stayed up in Newcastle after we lost. And like I said, I think, you know, a lot of managers would have said, no, nah, like, you lost one, like, you lost the game, like, no chance you're going out, get back on the bus and get home. But for whatever reason, Slav let us go out. And from then, we obviously went on that unbelievable run. And, like, I know it sounds a bit cliche now, but, you know, that that whole night out did really bring the team together because I know it may not seem like it sometimes, but like when you lose a game, it does eat you up. And I think when we was in the hotel bar that night, like the boys were still devastated about the game four hours before. Like I said, I know sometimes it may not seem seem that way from a sort of fan's point of view and you may think people, uh, players don't care, but we do care. And like we obviously do have lives as well. Um, 
obviously you try and forget that when you go home, whether to your family or your your missus or when you go on a night out with, with your friends. Um, and it is hard to forget, but I think it just goes show. I think that night out, I'm not saying it was the, I'm not saying it was the cure, but it definitely <laughs> brought everyone together and we had, a, we had a good time. And then, yeah, I think the confidence just grew and grew. And I think them sort of whatever it was, four or five months of, of playing and winning, it was just, uh, I don't think any of us will probably ever experience anything like that again. Um, you kind of mentioned that Christmas party there. Were there any kind of, I don't know, funny stories or friendships that blossomed from that Christmas party? Anyone doing some awful singing or any karaoke or anything like that? Probably the best story that I got, we, we went out on, on the Sunday and we, uh, we all had fancy dress on. And uh, Ryan Fredericks, who's an absolute legend, managed, he never told no one, but he got, he got the kit man to uh, put a, like a mini bike in the back of his van where he, take, he takes the kit off the day before. And uh, we, come, we were meant to meet downstairs on the Sunday and um, it was like, it was an hour late or whatever. And um, all of a sudden he just rocks in and he's got like a jigsaw mask on from the movie Jigsaw and he's just on the bike, little tricycle. Oh my God. And it was literally one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, still to this day, the best fancy dress costume I've seen. So, um, but yeah, that, that was it. But in terms of stories, unfortunately, I can't. Can't go too much into detail in that sense, or else, um, or else. As, as the fancy dress become a long-running tradition, there was um, uh, eighteen months ago. There was quite a, a famous photo of the lads uh, on a on a fancy dress party. I want to say it was it was in a Scandinavian country. Was it? Is it Den? Was it Copenhagen? We did go to Stockholm. Uh, we went to Stockholm. Yeah, listen, fancy dresses. To be fair, if you got probably one of the other lads on it, you, they'd probably say I'm probably the, the worst fancy dress because I buzz off it like. Anytime fancy dress is mentioned, I'm, I'm all over it. So, no, we give, we, give, we, give, we give it a good go, to be fair. You know, I think we've always had a good group for that. And like, like I said, some managers some managers like that, some managers don't like that. And, you know, thankfully for us, Slav, Slav enjoyed the boys going out and, and team bonding and, and uh, getting that chemistry together. And like I said, from from obviously the Sunderland game, we all, we all had a great time and, yeah, went on that unbelievable and beat it around. Obviously, the promotion against, against Villa was was an amazing moment for you. Um, I enjoyed hearing you talk to the club website about the, the flair incident and stuff. And, and you were a massive part of that 23 match unbeaten run. What was that following summer like? It was It's an iconic summer. And I think Fulham is still kind of maybe paying the price in some ways after it now. It was such a huge amount of spending, uh, such a big change in the personnel at the club and... In the goalkeeper department, we saw Sergio Rico and Fabri come in. What was that like for you? Because you know there were the lads that got used to the Premier League, and whilst I imagine you all expect some change and some new faces, some impressive names from abroad to come in, but it was such a sea of change that summer. And yeah, as I said, I think Fulham have never quite recovered from that in lots of ways. So, what was it like in the dressing room seeing? The, the likes of Seri and Gisa, and then from your perspective, Rico and Fabri come to Motspur Park? It was a lot. I think none of us sort of had been in that position before where we'd just been promoted. And the team, I think, was so strong as a core. And I think one of the main sort of things that season was obviously keeping Mitro. Um, and obviously the club managed to do that. And I think we had a really good spine. And I think losing Fredo was a massive, massive loss. I think Fredo was key to what the way Slav played, and I think when 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 Fredo didn't resign, I think that was a was a massive loss to to us as as players because his pace would get us out of a lot of trouble sometimes. Um, but yeah, listen, it's I can sit here and say you know that season we spent too much money, we brought in too many players, but then also at the same time you know like you need to invest. You're going from a Championship to a Premier League, you know, strap like team, and it's it is different. And again, like we've seen it this season, like. Obviously, the club tried to learn from probably the season before and, you know, maybe sort of go a different way and obviously invested well. I think I think they invested well again this season, but it is tough. You know, even West Brom have, have found that, you know, Sheffield United obviously have suffered the same feat in their second season syndrome and it's, it's a tough, tough league. Um, you know, and there is a massive difference, especially from them top boys to, to obviously us. Um, I know it's a game of football and obviously everyone likes the underdog, but sometimes it's just relentless and you never really sort of know when your next game's coming from. But yeah, from a personal point of view, and I'm sure probably a lot of the lads would say that, I think we've done so well that, that previous season 
a lot of us felt that we deserved the chance. Um, a lot of us never really got a chance to begin with. Some of us did get a chance and just ended up sort of making our way in to get a chance. But yeah, it was a lot. And yeah, personally for me, obviously it was a, again, it was a, it was a mad roller coaster. I think probably two weeks before the start of the season, I was probably going on loan because they had, they had bought Fabri in. Um, then they were bringing Sergio Rico in and I was like, well, you know, where does that leave me here? I was like, I don't want to go and be third choice, especially after just playing sort of some of the best, best football that I've played um, from a goalkeeping point of view the previous season. So I was getting ready to go, up, go get out alone. And then I think first game, Palace, and uh, I think maybe the second game was Spurs, maybe. Um, I was actually number three for, well, I wasn't involved in the Crystal Palace game because I was injured, but then number three, I was number three for the Spurs game. And then like two days later, Slav pulled me and was like, oh, listen, I'm going to, going to put you in against Burnley and I was ready because I was like I was I'd, I'd obviously it was a short summer because obviously the playoffs so I was ready um, and I was I was a little bit hungry because obviously I'd just been sort of put down a peg or two and obviously I felt like I deserved a chance but you know it, it was one of those things it was that in itself was probably a huge moment for me because never in a million years did I think one I'd play for Fulham when I was younger than two let alone in the Premier League so that for me was was massive and that is probably I wouldn't say a mistake because it wasn't a mistake, but maybe that's what was maybe part of the reason why a lot of them boys sort of struggled that season because we had gone from a team of really hungry lads knowing especially how the way Slav wanted to play. And I think we'd done all right in the first couple of games. Like, I think if you look to this season and compare this season to last season, I don't know whether getting rid of Slav sort of that, that sort of early on was, was, was the right thing to do. But at the same time, like I said, it's such a tough league. We ended up bringing in a sort of super experienced manager in Ranieri, which everyone at the time thought was a great appointment um, on paper, and it probably was. You know, obviously he's won the Premier League sort of multiple teams. He's obviously done everything in the game that he probably do from a manager's point of view. So, you know, it was a smart decision, but just things haven't worked out for whatever reason. I don't think you can put the blame on, on any one, two people. I think from a collective point of view, things haven't gone to plan. Um, players haven't gone to plan. Performances haven't gone to plan, and that is... It's small margins in the Premier League like sort of we see last season obviously I wasn't there but at one point we all thought Fulham were going to get out of it and obviously small margins and sort of last minute goals against certain teams and stuff like that end up keeping you down there so it is small margins but you know like I said I don't think you can put the blame on one person No absolutely and then yeah you you Managed to, we get through the relegation uh, summer and it's another one of, of upheaval. We got Scott Parker in the hot seat and um, you start the season in 1920. Uh, and then, you know, around about November time, I think it was after a game against Hull, Parker puts in, uh, puts in Rodak who, who stays there. I mean, what was your relationship with Scott Parker? Cause you, you would have had, uh, you would have crossed paths as players as well. I know he, I know he played in championship for a bit, so you would have been on the same pitch and, and then he's your manager. And then he says to you, I'm going to put, I'm going to put Rodak in. Like, how, how was that relationship and what was it like for you? I can't sit here and say a bad word about Scotty. I think, you know, that, that whole pre-season, I, was, I, was, I knew I was going to sort of be number one. I knew I was starting. I knew I was going to be a, a vital part of this team. And obviously our main goal was to get back promoted. Um, so I knew it was going to be a long season and it was, it was one of the first times I had started, started a season. Funny enough, it was the first time I'd actually never started a season before that, the first game. So... We obviously never started great against Barnsley, but you know that pre-season I actually felt really, really good. I was in an unbelievable place. Um, I just had a knee up, um, sort of the back end of last season, so I just sort of made it back for the start of pre-season. Um, and physically and mentally, I felt great. And then, yeah, first first couple of games of the season, I just sort of personally, from a personal point of view, I just sort of didn't really find my form. Um, just sort of struggled a little bit. And you know, I think it's tough. I think you know what fans don't see, and maybe sometimes boys get sort of tarnished with sort of the same brushes like they don't care is like people have come out and obviously said it's sort of like similar to sort of Jesse Lingard and that this season when things aren't clicking for you it's tough because you want everything and you know you you expect these high standards of yourself and when they don't work out you know it's, it's tough from a mental side so you have to be mentally strong and yeah like I said I think the start of, the start of that season I was I had some good games and bad games and good games and bad games and I was just up, down, up, down and a little bit sort of similar to this season as well where I was up, up, up at Borough. So the thing is about finding that consistency and, and Scotty pulled me, I think it was after um, the Stoke game and I think I gave a penalty away in the second half. And I understood, like I said, I, I understood. I knew I wasn't, I knew I wasn't performing 
at my very best and I probably agreed with him when, when, he, when he called me and said that and when Marek came in he was absolutely brilliant um, you know and I think probably from a from a personal point of view from his side I think it was a shame that he never got more of a chance this season in the Prem because um, he's, a, he's a top top class goalkeeper and if he starts the season for Fulham this season I think you know he'll be probably one of the best goalkeepers in the league by a mile so one side obviously I was devastated for myself because you know I wasn't playing but also on the same side I've obviously seen Marek come through sort of the same sort of path that I'd been on and he deserved everything that he was getting and he deserves all the plaudits that he gets so so yeah it was it was it was catch 22 obviously it was devastated I wasn't playing but yeah happy to see him do well and um, at the end of the day I think last season or in any season that I was at a club whether I was playing or I wasn't playing I was always I was always there I was always with the boys I was always been that sort of loud vocal person um, to back the boys up and, and, and sort of defend them to the Defend them to the rafters. So, you know, and I think you can probably see that in, in at Wembley, you know, everybody on the bench all together as one team. And I think, you know, there's probably a lot of lads that could have been sat there and been you know, pissed off and not playing or not had enough game time. But, you know, we were all buzzing. Um, you know, and I think you can see that in the celebrations of, of an empty Wembley, uh, Wembley Stadium. Um, but, you know, the scenes were just still as, still as crazy and the emotions were same probably the same the year before. What did that, that last play your final feel like as a player because you know it kind of feels like it didn't happen sometimes mm. because there wasn't fans there and 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 I guess the time before it was this intense high you know the white wall all the fans at Wembley with you guys celebrating but yeah what was the last one like and, and how different was it for you as a player? It is different because it's like it's strange because because that last one was against Brentford it was such a more important game because it was against Brentford and like, let's be brutally honest, we were underdogs going into that game. Like, Brentford were hot favourites. Like, I think probably the season win against Villa, we were bang hot favourites. Like, and I think every single person in that training room when we played against Villa, I know it sounds a little bit arrogant, but we were so confident that we were going to win that game. Um, even though we had just been, like, beat by Birmingham, even though we had just been beat by Derby in the first leg, and obviously we, we, beat, we won the second leg. We were so confident and I, and I think probably the game against Brentford just gone in Wembley, it was different. It felt like a pre-season friendly. It never felt like the same player final until probably sort of 15, 20 minutes before the end of the game when we were, when we were hanging on. And I think they're both special as each other. I don't think you can compare. I think from, from my side, obviously, my one is always more special when we beat Villa because obviously so many reasons. The fact that it was like the first time there, the fact that it was Wembley, the fact that the white wall um, you know, and obviously I was playing and stuff like that. And, you know, Dennis getting sent, sent off was just like made it even better because obviously you're hanging on for dear life. Um, but then also at the same time to see obviously Joe Bryan score a ridiculous goal and then go and get another goal. And it, again, we were underdogs. Like it was just, just as special. Um, but yeah, for me personally, on a personal note, I think the one before that against Villa was, was more special for me. I think it's important for you guys as players to know that from our perspective, that was a you could not lose that game. <laughs> we could not have all those years Brentford fans having that one over us. And look, things have happened since they've gone up, we've gone down, and and we kind of have to take the criticism and the stick that we get. But ultimately, we've always got that night against them, and we weren't there. We were in pubs. It was social distancing. It was shite way to watch such an important match, but you won it, and that was the most important thing for us. It was like even. If the prize we knew was probably a bit flawed the Premier League was going to be super difficult the fact that you won that match saved us so many um, red faces as fans so uh, I guess you know thank you Joe Bryan as as, as ever um, final one um, before we get into some listener questions I wanted to know what the players if they ever hear what the fans are saying on you know, Twitter social media even podcasts and things like that is it discussed in the dressing room you'll have had your own personal ups and, and downs in the last kind of five years at Fulham I'm sure you must have seen comments online you know not just you know horrible hate but people getting the wrong end of the stick and there have been players that get really criticized from the fans do you guys hear it or does it kind of wash over you is it water off a duck's back um I think you'd be surprised at, at how much the players hear and how much the players see I think from, from a social media point of view, I think it's one of the greatest things they've invented and I also think it's one of the worst things invented. Um, 
and the fact that, especially over the last sort of two, three, two weeks or so with England losing, I just think it's an absolute disgrace. Um, some of the stuff that that goes on, and from footballers from a young age, you're always taught, you know, you've got to be mentally strong. You know, you know, you can have people saying this, you can have people saying that, you can have people saying that. I think what probably separates our generation probably from the generation before was that things might have been written in the paper or things might have been said maybe on on Sky Sports, but then after that, or the TV, sorry, live games, and after that, they were kind of gone when you went home, whereas at the moment, you can literally go online and everyone does it. You, you go down Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and you've had a bad game. All you do is obviously see negative stuff, and it's obviously not, it's not healthy. But yeah, listen, even at games, like I think probably, I look back now and I think it's absolutely ridiculous, but when we would play games on the slab and that 26 unbeaten game run and, and we were maybe drawing nil-nil at half time and like we were trying to play out from the back and we had played out from the back then that, that whole sort of two seasons with on the slab and people in that in the sort of the, the, the goal behind me were, were, were hammering me saying get it forward, get it forward, get it forward and I'm, you know, I've you know, ever sat behind me probably before probably in a Hammersmith end of the and probably, probably you've seen me turn around and snap a few times like because, yeah, you do hear it. And at the end of the day, you, you've got a job to do and you're being told that job by that manager and that manager wants to play you. And listen, if, if the manager wants to play you and he's telling you to pass it out and I've got Jimmy and the amateur fan telling me to kick it forward, I'm passing it out <laughs> because at the end of the day, Jimmy ain't going to put me in the team next week. So um, I do understand the frustration sometimes. Um, I do get it. But listen, at the end of the day, like us boys, we played football our whole life. Like, you know, we, we know, we know what to do. Obviously people go through good spells and bad spells and people have uh, good periods of football and bad periods of football. And, you know, Joe Bryan's been, been a, been a huge part of that. I'm obviously speaking about, about his mental health, what he, what he suffered sort of the, the first year, I think it was in the Prem when he didn't feel great. And I think everyone goes through that at different, different periods in their life. Um, and I think that's probably the one thing that, that fans don't see. I think I've been very lucky with the fans. I think the fans have always sort of supported me really, really well. So I, I feel like I've been very, very lucky. But also at the same time, I've, I've, I've definitely had games where I've come in and, and you know and seen some negative stuff. But yeah, listen, like I said, we are conditioned to block that stuff out. Um, but yeah, I think you'd be surprised at how much um, how much boys read and how much boys sort of listen to um, things like podcasts and and tweets and stuff like that. So yeah. And uh, how much Jimmy from the Hammersmith end uh, <laughs> says to you during the game. Uh, shout out to you, mate. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we've got some listener questions for Marcus. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. It's Sammy, Drew and Izzy and we are still joined by Marcus Bettinelli. How you doing, Marcus? Hey guys, how you doing? Good, thank you. So um, we put some questions out um, to Twitter and Instagram to see what would come in from listeners. Yeah, an opportunity to ask an ex-player uh, some questions and and kind of to get your opinions on them, Marcus. Uh, I'm going to go off with something that's a little bit lighter here. I imagine I'm sure we'll get into some deeper stuff later, but add Bron Smith on Twitter asked, which player did you see in training and just think he's on a different level? Uh, he's potentially suggested uh, Moussa Dembele, the first one, although the second one was pretty unreal as well. So, um, you know, which training in your 15 years at Fulham did you think, oh my God? I'm going to say two. Um, I would have only been a young boy at the time, but Jimmy Bullard was ridiculous. Jimmy really? Bullard, yeah. Jimmy Bullard used to take free kicks after training sometimes and he was, he was a funny, funny character. And I was only a young, young boy at the time, like probably doesn't even, probably won't even remember me being that, that young. But I used to like sort of go in sort of when, when Swarter and, and Stockholm couldn't be bothered to stay out. But um, yeah, Jimmy, Jimmy was really good. And, and probably the other one, I think probably a lot of people say, even up until probably last season, because I know he probably still joined in training then, but with Scotty. When Scotty joined in training, he, he, he was just... Like it was another level, like even sort of the season we went up, he would join in a possession and stuff and he'd be the best midfielder there and he could hardly move, he had that one ankle. So yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd probably have to say Scotty. 
I, I actually just remember a story about Bobby Moore when he was a manager. He started off at South End and uh, he just he, he eventually left because he was so frustrated because the players couldn't do what he could do in training. I know it's, I know it's not going to be exactly the same, but it reminds me of that. Yeah. Uh, we got one here uh, from Alan on Twitter. Um, there's been a, a clear change in goalkeeping over the years, he says, uh, like being good with your feet and punching uh, when catching looks like it's the easier and better option. Uh, is this something that's changed over time in your career and how has it sort of affected you, I guess? Yeah, listen, I, I obviously watch a lot of, of football, um, Premier League Championship as well. And I think what fans don't realise is, is goalkeepers come for a lot more stuff now. Um, and from a goalkeeping point of view, a lot of goalkeepers in the past would maybe stay on their line and not come because back in the day, goalkeepers would get bad and not get a foul. So they were like, right, well, I'm not going to come. Whereas now it's a bit different. Obviously, you've got to come and, you know, the balls are moving a bit more. The balls... The balls change every year. I can tell you one thing. The balls don't change to help us. They change to help the outfield players score more goals if, you, if no one noticed. Um, so, yeah, listen, when they're moving, they're light, they're, they're, they're wet, they're slippery. You know, sometimes punching is, is a better option. Um, and, you know, from, from, a, from a person's watching point of view, and I, and I do get it, it looks so easy. You're there, like, put two hands up in the air and catch it, but... I can assure you when you're focusing on that ball coming in and you don't know if big Max Smith or Aidan Flynn are coming to absolutely batter you on the other side of that, trust me, you have to think twice and think, well, what would I rather hear? Try to catch it, get battered, ball drops on the floor and someone taps it in and it's my fault or get a clean punch on it, allow everyone to get up and, and regroup. You know, there's, there's, there's a place for punching in the game. Um, I think if you ask any goalkeeper, it's super frustrating when people don't understand goalkeeping question whether why we punch and why we why we catch. Um but um yeah it's definitely been a it's definitely been a, a thing over the last few years. But um trust me when I say there's a there, there is a reason behind that. Someone called D Binge on Twitter has said they have regular shamed flashbacks of drunkenly banging on about the twenty eighteen playoff final to you being the best day of their life before <laughs> requesting a picture with you. They said, can you please share the strangest fan interaction you've had to make them feel less bad about it? To be fair, you do get a lot of lads come up to you and say about <laughs> that being the best day. But no, I'll tell you what actually is probably still probably to the day the weirdest, the weirdest fan interaction I had was the geezer that ran on the pitch dressed as a big woman at Blackpool. Uh, <laughs> I remember I've seen, this. A, I've seen a couple I've seen a I've seen a guy actually tweet me uh, like after it as well actually like every year or so he like brings it up but when he ran on I had, I had no idea that he ran on from the from Fulham end so I was like and, and, and I don't know if you I don't know if you if you remember back to that game but we were winning 1-0 um, and it was like a big big game like if we had lost that game and Common went down that season but they had won that game it would have been gone to like the last two or three games. It would have been like, and that game basically like secure, like secure our place in the championship next season. And there was a high pressure game. Like a lot of the boys were nervous before the game. We were playing Blackpool. I think might have like been relegated already. Um, and like the pitch was honking. Um, and he ran on and I thought this geezer must be a Black, Blackpool fan because he was like dressed in like pink and orange and like, I was like, it has to be a Blackpool fan. And he grabbed the ball off me and I was fuming at the start. And then I soon realised it was a Fulham fan and I started laughing. Um, but yeah, I, I still think back to that day and think that's probably, um, it's probably one of the weirdest, weirdest um, crowd like sort of interactions that I've had, yeah. <laughs> I um, I remember that one well because um, Blackpool was so frustrated at the time. I think they were trying to protest against the owners as well. So I think you would probably have been was, yeah. you'd have been right to think that it was a Blackpool fan. Um, Sammy Fine Silver says on Twitter, um, well, he first asks, "How was the season in the Premier League?" Which I guess you kind of touched on, you know, with Fabry and and Rico. But you obviously did get a call up to England and how was that for you and, and suddenly you know you've gone from a few seasons ago playing in League 2 for Accrington you eventually kind of are playing in the Championship the next thing you know you're with the England team that must have been nuts even though you didn't make it on the pitch yeah it was it was mental that whole month like I touched on earlier like where I thought I was going out on loan and then played against Burnley and I think we played against Brighton maybe um, or a safer pen 
yeah, it would have been two days after I got a phone call and it was like, oh, mate, you're in the England squad. And I was like, well, what's happening here? Like two weeks ago, I was heading back to the championship on loan and now I've just been called up. So that whole month was just like mentally exhausting. Um, and I think like the, the reaction I had sort of on social media and from Fulham fans and it was such a big thing at the time. Um, it was it was massive. It was probably still to my day like the best sort of month that I've had because I ticked so many boxes that I wanted to like that I wanted to tick as every young boy does want to tick um, that I never probably thought that I would tick. Um, so it was it was mental, but yeah, and I think maybe I then signed a contract, maybe like sort of a new contract, sort of maybe like three weeks after that. Football's a funny game. Like football, football's a funny game. It has a yeah, like I know the old saying it goes ups and downs, but I think maybe I. I was England squad like maybe two or three times and I signed my new deal and we played Cardiff away and I got dropped after that game. So it was literally like a big roller coaster being up there and then all the way back down again. But um, yeah, that, that season was good. I enjoyed working with Fabs and Sergio. Um, and I think probably Sergio got a little bit of stick that season. But, you know, I think from a goalkeeper point of view, I don't think he had a bad season. I think he was a good goalkeeper. Um, I think the team was just in general was just, you know, a bit all over the place. Um, and yeah, I think probably uh, I'd, I'd seen a few things. Obviously, you know, it's like you know, fans start calling for your name to come back in because you know I'm, I'm sort of one of their own and such, and that's obviously lovely. But you know, Serge, Serge, did, Serge did a good job. Um, so I don't know if he, he got the recognition he deserved that season. But yeah, um, I enjoyed I enjoyed that season, even though we ultimately went down. It was still something that like sort of I look back on probably in a few years' time when I've got kids and stuff, and, and look back and be like, yeah, that was proud of that. No, absolutely. Um, we got one here, Sam, on Twitter. You mentioned earlier how you, you, you're not about those outfit, that outfield life, but uh, what outfield position would you reckon you'd be best at? What have you dabbled in? You must have tried to had had a few five side games at least. Uh, I'd probably have to say centre back because just because it's it's probably the closest thing to a goalkeeper that I can get. To be fair, I'm all right ahead <laughs> in the ball. To be fair, I remember when we played Reading when we played Reading in the playoff semis, wherever it was, and I come up for a last minute corner. Chrissy Martin took the ball right off my head last minute. I was absolutely devastated. I still think back to that now. And a clean run, <laughs> on, a clean run and goal. And I saw the, saw the headlines the next day in the paper and Chrissy Martin popped up out of nowhere and flipped it on and it went wide. I was devastated. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, um, if, I'd have, if I'd have to be anything, I'd probably, I'm um, too slow to be anywhere else, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to be a centre-back. Could you possibly pick a, a favourite save? I think um, Mitch on Twitter was saying, what's your favourite ever save in a Fulham shirt? Mm. The penalty against Brighton, or probably the one up against Sunderland onto the bar. Um, I'd, probably oh, have to, yes. I'd probably have to say them too. Um, I think probably the importance of the penalty one was, was lovely, um, just because it, it, was, it was roasted that day as well. And I remember being absolutely roasting in goal and I remember the fans being right behind me and uh, yeah I think probably probably the Brighton one and yeah some of them will probably two of my favourite yeah, saving a saving a Premier League penalty is uh, definitely got to be up there. I, I want to say actually, I think one of my favourite saves of yours, um, which kind of then led to something else, was uh, against Leeds in the Championship. So you, 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 I can't remember who the Leeds player was that went through, but you did a brilliant kind of one on one block, and then it went all the way up the pitch and ended up with Mitro tucking it in, and it must have been something like ten seconds between the two it was, it was kind of crazy but nice for a goalkeeper almost to, you almost got the assist for that one I know you probably didn't on the on the yeah. statistics but you got you got a lot of credit um, for that one there was also the game where you saved two penalties in the same game um, yeah, Hull, in a row against yeah. Hull yeah do you know what actually, actually I, I think back now it was a season when Butts played most of the season we played Ipswich at home and I think it was my first game first game being played sort of that season um, yeah and the ball got cut back and the boy should have scored. It was a simple tap and then a cup sort of come running over and made a big, massive, big spread. And it hit me and went out. And I, and I remember the, the whole, it was the first time I think I'd ever got a standing ovation from the whole of the cottage. Um, it probably not, probably not something that probably a lot of many, many people sort of remember, but I think for me, I think that was like super special thing because it was my first sort of game that season um, in the league. And it was really important because I think we went on sort of like four or five on being one game and got us into the playoffs. Um, so yeah, that, that was that was a nice feeling as well. 
Well, look, thank you so much for your questions. There was a lot of questions as well that were just like, I will tell Betsy's a legend. Um, so um, I'll round them up just into this feeling here. But there was, there was a lot of good feeling for you on the, on the tweets and the Instagrams as well. So um, thank you for your questions. Uh, we'll take another quick break uh, and then we'll have a few more questions for Marcus. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, it's Sammy, Izzy and Drew chatting to Marcus Bettinelli, being a fantastic insight into t- your, your time at Fulham. And, and I guess, Marcus, without kind of trying to give away the game too much of, of where your future lies, it'd be just really fascinating to um, find out a little bit of what's next for you. Um, when did you know your time at Fulham was over and, and was there any chance of you staying or was it this a decision that you'd made uh, a little while back that you needed to take a break for, from from Craven Cottage and, and maybe seek a new challenge elsewhere? Probably one thing that probably I, I should address that so a lot of things on sort of Twitter saying um, so I turned down contracts and that this was never never my decision to leave Fulham um, so I just want to put that out there first um, while I was away on loan I had multiple conversations with people at Fulham about sort of next season. They had an, obviously an option on me, um, and that option was 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 getting taken up. And for whatever reason, it never got taken up. And to be honest, it, uh, it got left right quite late on. To be fair, so um, it left me in the dark a little bit. And I think probably it comes as a, as a big shock, especially when you you're getting told, you know, that this is this is this is happening next season. You know, you're staying. So. You know, from from a personal point of view, it's it's stuff that people don't see. Um, you know, you 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 plan for next season, and you know your next season with your your family and your your home and stuff like that. So sort of everything was sort of based in around in London, and I think that's probably what a lot of people don't see when they talk about sort of loyalty and you know you should have more pride. You know, after you pay for a club and all that kind of stuff, people don't see the sort of the ruthlessness sometimes. You know, when you're when you're wanted, it's great. You're there, and then all of a sudden, when you're not, you're not. So um, that that that's the side that sort of football sort of football fans don't see sometimes. So yeah, that, just wanted to clear that up. But that, that wasn't that wasn't my decision. Um, you know, the option never got taken up from from Fulham's side, um, which got left quite late on, sadly. Um, but yeah, for for what the future holds, I don't know right now. Um, there, there's there's definitely a few things on the table. Um, that I'm really excited about. Like I said, I would have loved to have stayed. Um, my plan was to stay, um, but um, yeah, it wasn't in in other people's plans at the club. So unfortunately, I, I, I had to I had to obviously let everyone know, obviously via post and stuff like that. And obviously, the media team put out a lovely little sort of tribute to me, which was which was class sort from Jeff and the boys um, and me and stuff. So. Um, yeah, it was it was it was sad, but yeah, onto sort of a new chapter of my career. Um, like I said, it has been a massive part of my life. Um, it probably will be. Um, I live here, you know. I see obviously a lot of fans, obviously up and down Fulham Road and Kings Road a lot of time. So um, you know, um, you know, everyone that sort of stops me always sort of is, is very polite and very kind. So um, yeah, I've loved my time at Fulham. Like I said, I would love to have stayed, but unfortunately not. So we'll have to see what happens next. You're 29 now. You're entering your primer years as a goalkeeper, right? I mean, you know, we, we all know that you've got a lot more longevity than than the lads out on the pitch, uh, outfield. Uh, is it strange to think that your best days of your career are are ahead of you and could and are going to be away from this club? Yeah, like, like I touched on earlier, I think probably the last sort of probably two years and probably that first season we got uh, sorry the season we got promoted um, with Scott and then probably last year by like sort of probably struggle for form or being a little bit up and down, a bit inconsistent. So I'm looking forward to sort of finding my feet again. Um, I think probably the last time I probably played my best football was probably on the slab. Um, sort of playing out from the back is something that I sort of really thrive on. So um, I'm looking some, looking forward to some, going somewhere where, you know, we, we play football. Um, it's probably one of my biggest attributes is, is sort of hitting the fullbacks and, and being able to play the ball at my feet um, and sort of my communication. So. I know that I'm a, I know that I'm a good goalkeeper. I know that I can add a lot to sort of any team that I go into. So, um, yeah, it's just about sort of finding my feet again and, and finding sort of remarks Elias again. And, and, you know, like you said, hopefully sort of my best days are in front of me and, um, you know, I can sort of thrive in the next couple of years. 
I guess you you probably can't reveal too much, but I winced a bit reading an article today that Chelsea were having a look at you as kind of third choice cover. I guess you're searingly loyal, I guess. Would you ever go to a rival? And, and do you kind of want to be that first choice keeper at your next club? I think whenever you go to any club, I think obviously you always want to play. Um, I also think, you know, there, there's times and places where, where you can go to to other clubs to not play and obviously try and fight your way in the door. And I think there is, you know, from a from a championship point of view, there's so many great goalkeepers out there that you can go and work with and learn from. And, you know, I think I'm at that point in my career now where, where, where I want to go and learn from somebody. I want to go and learn from from somebody who is, who is probably a step above me as a goalkeeper, um, which I've probably not had that since sort of Mark Swartz was there. Um, so it would be lovely to go and to go and to go and learn from someone. Again, like I said, I, I want to go and play as well. Um, but I'm open to all options right now. I think, you know, if we knew that maybe my option wasn't getting taken up maybe sort of six, seven months ago, I would I would be in a different position right now and we wouldn't even sort of be having this podcast. But, you know, for whatever reason we I am I am sort of a free agent still right now and the sort of preseason is already Begun. So it's it's been tough on that sense. Like like I said, I, it would have been nice to have known earlier, but for whatever reason, I, I wasn't told, and yeah, I've been left in the dark a bit. So I'm having to to sort of find my feet very quickly um, and sort of adapt to something that I've never thought I'd be sort of in a position doing. So like I said, I can't reveal too much, but I'm I'm sort of open to to anything right now. Well, well, Marcus, um, it's been fascinating chatting to you. I just wondered, um, as we finish the podcast, you've had 15 years at Fulham. You've probably met hundreds, if not thousands of Fulham fans who either stopped you in the streets or after games or signing autographs. It's been a big part of your life. So I just wanted to know if there was anything that you kind of wanted to say to, to Fulham fans as kind of like a, a parting message, really, after after such a long time connected to the club. Thank you. I think this it's obviously been a, a whirlwind on the ride. Like I said, I've been very fortunate to have worn the sort of number one shirt for sort of the many, many years that I did. Um, you know, there's been a lot of great film companies that wear over the last sort of few years. And, you know, hopefully sort of Marriott can get that this season and, and, and go on to do well. So, but yeah, listen, like I said, I just want to obviously say thank you. Um, it's been unreal. Um, I'm sure I'll, I'll see loads of you sort of in and around sort of the double arms and the... Um, shit and stuff which you know is obviously everyone's local around here so um yeah listen it's been a it's been a great ride um i'll always look back on sort of fun memories and i don't live too far from the cottage so um i'm sure i'll uh, i'm sure i'll see i'm sure i'll see a lot of people very soon so so yeah so once again like i said thank you well, thank you, Marcus, and thank you for, for, for the insight um, on yourself, the team. Um, it's been a, a really, really interesting hour uh, in your presence. So, yeah, thank you for taking the time to do this, and uh, thank you for speaking to Fulhamish. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers.